Hello, and welcome to Conversations with Close, coming to you from the Great White North. I'm Michael Close. Glad to have you with us. On this podcast, you'll hear interviews with magicians from around the planet. I try to ask questions designed to spark robust discussions, giving you information and insights you won't find anywhere else. If you enjoy these podcasts, I hope you'll stop by michaelclose.com and check out the products we have available there. And now, let's get into today's podcast. My guest today, someone who has certainly established a strong presence in the world of coin magic, I'm talking to Michael Rubenstein, who uh, for many years hosted a, a symposium on coin magic. A lot of those videos have been made available. He is extremely uh, creative, a prolific creator of coin magic, and uh, the author of a big, big, big book that came out uh, late last year called Rubenstein Coin Magic. My guest is Dr. Michael Rubenstein. Michael, thank you for joining me today. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Um, Give us a little bit of background. Tell us uh, where you grew up and how the magic bug bit. Sure. Well, I grew up in the Bronx, the part that's uh, still standing, and uh, still live here in New York City. Um, Spent some time uh, in Italy where I studied veterinary medicine. And Started doing magic because my aunt bought me some magic tricks when I was, I don't know, just uh, eight, nine years old from Macy's department store. And I had a Spengali deck, linking rings. And I remember going to my fourth grade talent show and I took out this Spengali deck and I said, look, I have cards that are all different and they were all aces of spades. And I turned the deck around and said, no, look, they're all different and they were all aces of spades. And I got laughed uh, out of the class. And I realized, you know, the first thing you should do is read the instructions. That was a big lesson in magic. Um, but then I, I didn't do much until I was 15 years old, and I went out uh, out west on a tour with about 40 other kids my age. And somebody there was a magician who worked with Al Flasso in New York City, and he showed me a way to banish a coin. Uh, and I learned it incorrectly, but in doing so, I, I created a method that he had never seen before uh, in trying to reconstruct what he had showed me. And he said, that was fantastic. I should go buy the Boba Book of Coin Magic. So I got home from the tour and I begged my, my parents for the 15 bucks to go buy that Bobo book. I went to Al Flasso's magic shop. No one was there. This place was a disaster. For those who know Al Flasso, he was not the neatest person. And I uh, told him I wanted to buy the Bobo book. And he spent the afternoon showing me tricks from the book. And that, that's how I got hooked. Wow. So I read the book cover to cover, uh, went away to college in Syracuse and um, uh, started developing my own things. And I'll tell you a funny story because it has to do with, with my good friend, David Roth, who recently passed away, as many people know. Um, came back from college, went into Tannen's Magic Shop, which was the big magic store in, in college. And Bob Elliott was behind the counter. And uh, I started to show him some of the new things I had developed. And I blew every single one. And he said, listen, come back on the weekend. There's a kid named David Roth in the corner. He stands and he does some tricks and you should watch him. So I uh, came back took a look at David and I saw something that was completely different than anything I had learned from Bobo. The techniques were amazing, super clean. And, uh, and I just said, I I have to follow this guy. So I came back on another college break and saw David at a place that the magicians hung out with on Saturday called the governor's cafeteria. And David did. And I still remember to this day, he did a coins across using something called a deep backlip to steal two coins at a time. And I had never seen anything like that. The technique was revolutionary for me. And I said, you know, my stuff sucks compared to what this guy's doing. <laughs> so, so I went home and I just started creating a, a new technique, you know, based on what I saw David do his retention techniques and, uh, and just the cleanliness. And um, that's pretty much how I got started with coin magic. Um, 
I got to see David again in 1981. It was the New York Magic Symposium, and it had a, a, a head, it was a headliner event. I mean, all the greats were there, Michael Amar, Paul Harris, uh, Paul, I'm sorry, um, um, oh God, my, the names, uh, Daryl was there, um, uh, David, and just so many greats, uh, Jay Sankey and Gary Kurtz and Bob Kohler and so many people who were young just coming to together to see this great, great convention. And David did his show. And, uh, and I saw him do his castle show, which was the planet, the person glass. Um, and he finished with the sleeve. And I don't know how many people have ever seen those tricks done live, but it really blew my mind because I had just spent all this time learning magic. And I saw something that was completely different than anything that I had ever seen before. Uh, and it alludes to what I really feel uh, is what David uh, brought to the table when he taught coin magic, which was magic theater. Um, and, and to me, the sleeve was just so esoteric. I mean, you know, he said, I use my sleeves and coins would vanish and appear in the sleeve. And then he said, it's really done with mirrors and mirrors would fall out of the sleeve. And, and then at the end, a giant five inch coin comes out of the sleeve. And I was just blown away. And I just kind of had a realize I had to learn to think out of the box. And, um, and so that's what I did. Well, you know, it, that touches on something that uh, it, coin magic uh, has uh, limitations is not the word I'm looking for. It has some requirements that make it much more difficult, especially for a beginner to get into it. Uh, uh, and I think I've talked about this uh, uh, or maybe written about it a couple places, but the big problem for coin magic is that first of all, there are very few self-working coin tricks I think of uh, maybe the thieves and sheep uh, and maybe the, um, the old uh, puzzle where you lay out a row, you know, a square of coins and you shift them around. And it's, even though you remove some, it seems like the same numbers there, that kind Mm -hmm. of thing. So that if you want to learn coin magic, almost immediately, you have to start doing sleight of hand, even if it's only learning somehow to conceal an object in your hand with the hand looking uh, normal. So, I, I mean, that thing, I would think that sort of takes a lot of people out of contention right away if that's the first thing that they hit as, as young magicians. Sure. And I think today a lot of people stay away from some of the more difficult but basic slights, like classic palm. Um, in, David Roth would always say that having a good classic palm is like having an extra hand. Um, because you didn't have to conceal things. You could use your hands naturally, and yet you had coins palmed. And a lot of people, I think, today stay away from those types of difficult slights. Mike Gallo says that the only coin magic uh, slights he needs are classic palm, finger palm, and thumb palm. And really, that's, that's what you need. You need to learn the basics. And that's what the Bobo book did for me. It taught me the basics of coin magic. Uh, there are some really good tricks in there, some that I still do to this day. Um, and yet, uh, certainly, there's a, a, a lot of uh, way to improve, you know, what was in the Boba book, which is what most coin magicians, I think, have gone on to do. Right. So you would still recommend that uh, someone who wants to start out in coin magic still pick up a copy of Bobo and, and get familiar with where all this stuff came from in the beginning. I really feel that. Um, I know that uh, this is a very visual society. And, you know, since the advent of videos and DVDs and downloads, people tend to stop looking at the written word and and, and look at those things. But I always feel that when you read something, um, it it gives you a, a, 
I don't know if I should say a better idea, but I think it allows you to be more creative within yourself. When you watch something, you tend to mimic what you're seeing on the screen. And that's not always the best thing. Um, I think somebody, and I can't recall who it was, said, if you give 10 different people a video to watch, they're going to do that trick the exact same way. But if you give them those 10 people something to read, they're each going to put their own take on, on the trick that they learn. And I think that just gives you a little bit more space. You know, everybody's hand is a little different and uh, everybody's style is a little different. So I think it just gives you the latitude to develop your own personality and, and really put your own take on a trick. Yeah, I, I and it's particular with... Uh... With coin magic uh, or any kind of sleight of hand, I think, uh, I think the first step toward understanding the, the uh, or mastering or at least getting a handle on uh, a new move that you're trying to learn is just to understand the function of each finger. Mechanically, what is each finger doing? What is what is its job? Uh, I think where video comes into play, and particularly in the learning of slights, is to get some sense of what the things what you're shooting for, what the thing's supposed to look like when it's done well. I think that's really helpful. I know that um, I was trying to work through something in Steve Forty's new book and uh, boy, there was this shuffle and I just, I couldn't get it from what he was, what he was doing. But then um, he had actually posted a video of him doing this particular shuffle. And I went, Oh, wow. I, I, that, that isn't how I read that at all. So it, you know, it's very possible if I had just continued playing with it, I might've come up with my own version of the thing, but partly that's also dependent on the skill of the author to make sure that that technical information gets uh, conveyed properly. And I'll let everybody know right now, you go into really uh, not only excellent detail on the initial explanation, but also at, at the end of the explanations you talk about those points that are critical to have uh, success when doing the move i really think that's an important factor well you know i've done videos dvds and now that i've written the book and when you write the book for me the advantage is that you can go back and reread it and go back and reread it and fix things you know you, you look at it a little bit different time and you see i didn't really make this clear so you can go back and fix it and the other thing that you can do that you can't really do on a dvd is you really can embellish on the credits i really feel it's important to discuss where things come from uh and it's you know we stand on the shoulders of our of our the greats of the past and and i think that people tend to like push that to the side, especially on a DVD or a download, because you're performing usually in one take and you don't really have the opportunity. You're trying to think of what you're going to say, but you don't always think to say what the credits are. And, and a lot of things get lost and maybe the explanation becomes more visual than verbal. So I think with the written word, you're able to really discuss what you want to, what you want to convey the important points. And I really felt it was important for me to correct a lot of the credits that have kind of been, uh, well, let's just say mishandled in the past in coin magic, you know, even in Bobo, you know, the Tenkai pinch, uh, Bobo called the Goshman pinch and he knew better, but you sure. know, they, they made mistakes like that. And then things just got um, miscommunicated over the years. Yeah. Well, I think, and I think that's an excellent point because uh, I haven't made a lot of videos uh, back in the day when, you know, video was a thing, but generally uh, speaking on those things, if you get a clean take, then you count it as a success, whether or not it's a, the best performance you've ever given on that trick or whether or not it's the best explanation you've ever given. The whole point is that, uh, for example, on the LNL videos that I did, you know, they've got a camera crew hired or they've got an audience that's going to be there for a limited amount of time and you have to get through the material. 
So it's very possible that you'll get to the end of all that and go, oh, that, I, I really you left a thing out. But with text, you know, it's right there. And, uh, you, and also in the process, you can be sending that text to friends and others to uh, not only check the writing, but also to make sure that what you're trying to describe is understandable, is doable, is, uh, is clear. Exactly. Um, you, you do mention a thing, and, and I think, oh, this was going to be the second thing that is a challenge, I think, with coin magic, is compared to card magic, there seem to be a limited, a more limited number of plots than in card magic. Card magic gives you the benefit of uh, anthropomorphizing. Is that the right word I'm looking for? You've got kings and queens and jacks, so you can talk about <laughs> the exclusive coterie, which turns a 4A trick into something that maybe has some meaning that can relate it to games. You've got poker things you can do. You have red cards and black cards and you have all this stuff, but with coins, you have a, a, you know, a more limited amount of things that you can do. They can vanish. They can come back. Um, sometimes that vanishing and coming back is interpreted as going from hand to hand. Sometimes the vanishing and coming back is interpreted as going through a table. Uh, you know, coins can be changed or multiplied or what have you. Um, so it is a challenge to come up with, to find a fresh plot or in David's case, uh, a fresh, uh, dressing and presentation. So we say to cloak what would otherwise be a more familiar, uh, routine. Exactly. And that's actually one of the strongest things that I've learned from, from being with David for so many years, um, was how to turn magic into magic theater. Um, even the trick that I did on fool us. Uh, which was a wild coin routine. And uh, based on David Roth's own version, my, my thought was to, to make a story that would be entertaining and where the magic just happened. It wasn't like you were doing the magic. It was magic that was occurring in the story. And, and that's kind of what I do with a lot of my magic. I actually also intersect, uh, interject a lot of my crazy humor, which I know isn't for everybody. I do a lot of puns. People who know me know that puns are the lowest form of humor, but I revel in it. And uh, when, when I do a show, I usually make sure that they say in, in the introduction that I'm a punster and I make sure that I tell people that I go for the groan, not the laugh. The bigger the groan, the better, which is why I only work for grownups. And boom, boom. You know, my, my, my audience kind of gets it and uh, they, they like to make the groaning sounds when I, when I make the jokes and, uh, and that kind of makes it more fun. But that's my humor and I try and put that into a lot of my tricks. Well, the presentation that you did on Fool Us had one of my favorite because uh, that's a you know very nostalgic popular TV show for me. It was based on Twilight Zone, and and uh, the way they dressed that, uh, the what the LED screen and everything really was a was a beautiful way, possibly the most beautiful way to do a coin trick I've seen in a long time. Because it, it was, was really intriguing. And the interesting thing was that I actually was was worried about having a, a too long an introduction. So I was trying to shorten it. And then they said, well, we want to put on this visual intro on top of your intro. And that made it longer. So I was going, oh, I hope this is going to work. But it looked, yeah. it really looked fine. It looked, it looked great. It absolutely looked great. Um, you do talk about this shift uh, in the introduction to the book. And I think it's uh, a really good thing that, uh, you know, uh, more or less an understanding that the technical aspect of coin magic obviously has to be there. You've got to have the moves. You've got to have the best moves that you can that, that do things uh, in an economical way in a deceptive way, but that the presentation of the tricks can't be about, look how cleverly I can do the moves and, and that this was a shift in your 
sort of uh, focus in terms of how you're going to present magic that this really, you know, you really want it to be more of performance pieces and more of theater. I was, I was glad to read the, that. That's one of the biggest things I learned as I performed. When I started out, I, I was very technical. You know, I was trying to be like David, precise with the retention techniques and trying to be as clean as possible. And I remember I did a lecture in the, in the 80s. Uh, so that maybe dates me. Uh, but I remember reading the review and the guy was saying, the moves were marvelous, the tricks were amazing, but I spoke like a doctor and, you know, everything was so technical. And, and I kind of took that to heart and I said, you know, I, I don't want people to revel in the, the ability. I want people just to enjoy themselves. Uh, because to me, and I think most performers learn this as you really perform and get out into the real world, you know, uh, magicians will marvel at your technique. But laymen don't care. They just want to be entertained. So you don't have to do a super difficult move. You just have to do something that that effectuates something that looks magical. Right. And I think there's also uh, that shift, I think, also perhaps comes with age because, uh, you know, you, you find that it's less important for people to shower praise on you about how wonderful and how skillful you are and instead look at it as the experience rather than looking at it as Oh, this guy was fantastic. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's just a thing that sometimes I think, I find I don't really need that. I'm much more interested in the experience and uh, I'm glad to see that you've uh, adopted that approach as well. I think it's a sound one. Thank you. It's really something that I worked on over the years. So uh, this book has been a while in the uh, making. It is, it's called uh, Rubenstein Coin Magic. And it is huge and jam-packed with uh, coin goodness, as we like to say. Uh, Two sections. The first part is uh, sort of focused on technical aspects, various uh, things that accomplish things. And then the second half is uh, plots uh, worked out using those those, uh, techniques. Um, you did make a, a, a choice here, which is another thing I applaud you for, of not making this book, here's a summation of everything I've ever come up in, with in my entire life, but instead doing is an editorial process there, looking at the old material and going, has this held up through the test of time or are there better ways to do this now? Uh, so I think you're really, you know, you're, you're getting the, the best of the best in this particular volume. Well, thanks. The, the way the book came about is kind of interesting. For years, I wanted to put out a book, but I just didn't have the time to write it myself. I was working as a veterinarian, had a family, and, and the magic was really, you know, kind of like a hobby for me. Um, but I had a lot of material out there, and I wanted to put it into print. So I had asked a few people if they would be willing to write the book, and they, they really didn't have the time. But when I got sick and I had to retire as a vet because my immune system really wasn't uh, up to par, uh, I was actually socially distancing and wearing a mask before it was a thing. Uh, but um, while I was healing, I decided I'm going to do the book. And as I was trying to select the material, um, I, I got to watch a lot of my material that I had recorded over the years. And some of the things I just I just didn't like, some of the things I realized needed to be tweaked. Um, and, and that's the one thing that I really, I became my own self-critic. I would watch myself doing a trick and I liked maybe the entire trick, but I didn't like the way I did one thing. And I said, you know, I'm going to rewrite this and, and fix that one thing. So I was able to uh, put a lot of new takes on a lot of my older material. And there was some material I just said, this is going to need a lot of work. And I, I just, 
why why put that in? I mean, I have a lot of there are a lot of moves. The people who know me who uh, have seen the encyclopedia of coin swipes that I put out in the mid '80s, there are over a hundred coin moves, and they're, they're valid moves. But I wasn't really using them for this material. And I said, I don't want to just put something in to put something in. I call that filler. And, and I wanted a book without filler. I wanted to put in, you know, the things that I used all the time. What I felt was most practical. Uh, so I was able to fix the things that I wanted to to put into my older material. There were a lot of newer things that. I hadn't ever published and I just wanted to finish them up and put them in the book. Uh, and uh, the book was getting to be, you know, so big. I was worried that it was going to be two volumes as it was. It's over 500 pages. So I really made a conscious effort to discard some of the material that I felt didn't really, you know, like maybe a lot of sit down magic. That wasn't really the way uh, the trend in magic is anymore. People do stand up, walk around. Uh, so I kind of discarded a lot of the sit down magic, uh, uh, and, and elected to focus on the more modern techniques and the things that I used that were most practical. And, and that's what really the, came about with the book. Yeah, it's, um, I suppose the, the overwhelming is not, uh, not the wrong word to use. Uh, there are so many things to learn. You would say this was geared for what? Somebody with low intermediate skills I mean, where would you put this? This is not really a beginner's book, I don't think. Somebody just looking yeah. to get in coin magic. I think anybody who who knows the basics, this would be the next level. I, I kind of look at this as on par with with Kaufman's coin magic or Roth's expert coin technique because those were the books that you were to go to right after. Uh, and I would actually add to that Al Schneider on coins because to me that was a really nice way of of, of looking at, at magic differently than than Bobo, and that came out before. Mm -hmm magic or expert coin technique. Um, and I just felt that anybody who was able to do the basics, finger palm, thumb palm, classic palm, should be able to, to do the material in this book. And certainly we talk about the more modern uses of JW grip and Jeff Latta's nowhere palm. Uh, but uh, I think that it's, it's all in the context of what really is practical. If you look today on the internet, you'll see people doing YouTube magic, you know, they're doing stuff right for the camera and they're using a lot of angly stuff that you couldn't use right. anywhere else. Uh, I didn't want it to be that. I wanted it to be practical stuff that you could use. If you want to go to a party, there's stuff for that. If you want to do a classic show, there's stuff for that. You know, this is magic that I've used for my entire life. And I think there's something for everybody here. So would you suggest somebody, uh, you know, plunging into this book? Is there a, a course of, um, you know, uh, what would you suggest they tackle first? Just, I mean, each of the in introductory, not introductory chapters, each of the chapters in the technique section covers a specific type of move. So you have, uh, you have a, a retention vanish, uh, uh, not, I guess, well, the first one isn't really retention. It's the one with the tap, but, right. uh, but that becomes a retention vanish later on. But I guess I should simply say you have vanishes and then you have oh, various over palm shuttle passes. Yes. Um, uh, different techniques are used for different things, and you shouldn't be limited to just do one type of technique. Um, I think everybody maybe, you know, grew up using Roth shuttle pass or, you know, their favorite vanish. Uh, but I think you shouldn't be limited. A lot of times, uh, and one of the reasons I came up with the ROPS move, which is, it stands for retention open palm steel. Um, that's where you, you know, take a coin. And for those who don't, don't know it, I'll just kind of just show you quickly. See if you can see that. Maybe not. Can you, uh, a little higher. There it is, right there. Okay. So you take the coin and make it vanish. 
And what you're doing is basically stealing the coin out of your hand as you're closing it into a fist. And that saves you. If the coin's already there, you don't have to put it back into the other hand and then you know, do a retention pass to make the coin vanish. It's already in this hand. So, you know, I can't make it stay there so that you can see that. Let's just add it that I can't. Yeah, well, maybe that's good. That's it. Yeah. So it's a it's a natural way of getting of getting the coin out without having to do an extra maneuver to effectuate a vanish. Um, and then there are several techniques that are used for different things. So my feeling was, you know, learn those techniques, see what you like. Uh, obviously, everybody who studies has their own background of what moves they use. And then when you get to the routines, you know, you could either use the root, the moves that I suggest, or you can use your own moves. My, my feeling is, you know, you don't have to do it the way I do it. Do it the way it feels best for you. My idea was to present the effects, you know, and there are coins at the table. There are coins across. There are copper, silver. There's spellbound. Uh, all sorts of different different ideas. And the idea was that take it and run with it. You know, do it your own way. Um. So yeah, and so they could just you know it's almost like um, just work through some of the things, and then if you jump to the back where the routines are, you find a move that you haven't taken the time to work on yet. So go back into it, you know, find that earlier in, in the book, work on it and put that all back together. Now you have done something that's uh, not only really valuable, but absolutely free. And that is you've put uh, quite a bit of material on YouTube so that if people would like to take a look at these uh, moves and a few of these routines, they can see what they look like in action, which gives a better idea. And I think that's a really great thing to do. Sure. I think just like you had said, when you wanted to learn that, uh, that shuffle, uh, I thought maybe it would be good so people would have a visual idea of what, what they should go for. So I put a whole bunch of techniques on, you know, in one, one strip and I put several of the routines a couple of times. I kind of mashed a couple of things together, which is what I like to do. So people can, you know, see what you can do with the material in the book. You can put a couple of things together and make like a, a sequence, not just one trick. Mm-hmm. Um, I have some of my older material that I had already published that it, uh, maybe I tweaked it in the book, but you get a general idea of what the effect should look like. And it's, uh, on, it's, it's in YouTube under Rubenstein Coin Magic. So you can yeah, we'll put up. a we'll put a link on uh, link to that uh, when we uh, publish this in the newsletter, so people can find it easily. That's a, it's a great uh, it's a great resource. Uh, the toward the end of the book, you uh, have a a large chapter, as Bill Wells said in the introduction. Um, it could have been a separate book, really. Uh, you have a large chapter of material from your friends, uh, which is just great. And uh, there are a lot of names in there that are not familiar to me, but uh, I have to go back and uh, learn a bit about these guys and uh, study their routines. Are there any in that section that you would particularly say to people, you know, hey, don't pass this one by. This is a pretty, this is a pretty crazy thing. I don't want to put you on the spot. Well, I think they're all great. And the reason I did that was because, uh, you know, I realized that the book was my, was my own style. And that's great, but there are so many other different styles in magic today, and I wanted to give people an overview of what what exists in 21st century coin magic. So I started out by asking some of my closer friends, and and as they gave me routines, I said, you know, this is really a great idea. And then I wrote to a bunch of people, and uh, and I said, listen, if you have something that you think would be worthy for this book, I'd love to take a look at it. And some of the, I mean, there's, geez, I think there's so many great routines in there. Um, uh, the one by Gallo and the one by Roth are, are certainly our workers. Um, my uh, uh, 
friend from China, Jay Wang, uh, who's just starting his own company, TCC Magic with Gimmick Coins. He has a wonderful uh, coins to purse routine. Uh, that's the one that, that really comes to mind. But uh, gee, Moritz Mueller put out a really uh, clever vanish. Um, Lorenz Godon has a routine that's super difficult. It's probably the hardest thing in the book, but he does it like it's like it's a piece of cake. Uh, <laughs> So that one will be challenging for you. Uh, Nathan Cranzo has a really nice idea. Um, Brandon Wolf has a great idea. I, I just think all those routines are really nice. And one of the things I did, um, which I'm not sure that that people actually caught, is there's a routine in the book, uh, and it's it's a contribution from my wife. And it's I won't say what it is, but it's along the lines of what Frank Garcia used to do with his books. Oh, so, okay. So you have to take a look at that, but. What maybe a lot of people will do is they'll they'll take a look, realize what it is, and they'll just pass over and go to David Roth. And if they don't read the whole contribution by my wife, they won't see the hidden, uh, let's just say the, the the hidden special thing that's in there that follows it. So you have to read the whole the whole contribution. Um, now the last question I have, and this is this has just been really interesting and fun for me. Uh, particularly because this is not an area. I mean, I've I've published three coin tricks in my life, um, all three of which have been pretty much ignored by coin guys. So I'm thinking, all right, <laughs> I'm pretty proud about that. Um, uh, is this a, a book simply available through most magic dealers, or are you? Uh, can they order it for you, or you are not in the wholesale or the retail yeah. business? Uh, no, not, not doing that. Uh, the book, fortunately, now it came out in June, uh, it sold out before its release date, which was kind of wow. cool. So it's now in its third printing, and soon it's going to, I'm going to make another printing. Um, I, I ended up self-publishing because uh, when I had written the book, uh, and again, this was all new to me, and uh, sure. I never really put out something like this, but I tried to find a publisher, and everybody had their own projects and was busy, so I I ended up finding a really great uh, graphics artist who did the layout for me. Uh, and she's done a lot of, of magic books, uh, Stina Hensley. And uh, she did a great job, I thought, yep. and worked together. Uh, she was the one that suggested that maybe I put quotes at the end of each chapter. So I, I actually put a lot of quotes with my own philosophy and quotes that I thought were important for people who are studying coin magic. Uh, so that's at, at every at every chapter or every blank page. So the book was always filled with something. And, uh, and I, I've printed it myself, but with every printing, they send me a few copies. And so I have those that I sell, but for the most part, I just uh, give everything to Murphy's and they distribute it to the magic stores. Great. And the book is actually now being uh, translated into Spanish and French. So that's nice too. Wow. That's great. As well, it should be. That's absolutely great. Um, oh, I, I had one more comment I wanted to make uh, in regard to the things that you have on YouTube. And that is to emphasize, and I, I know this is something that you uh, would espouse as well that a magic move like a vanish or a false transfer or a shuttle pass or whatever uh, moves do not exist without context they're simply mechanical things where the fingers do what they do so when you watch your performance and your demonstration of some of these things especially the ones where you're only demonstrating a technique I think it's important to keep in mind that what you are seeing are the mechanics and the result of the mechanics of this move, but without context, they're not really going to sing the way they do when you put them in, uh, you know, you put them inside, inside a routine. You know, we have the, 
the problem that if you put a coin here, you, know, you can't see my hands, but if you, you know, do a false transfer and that coin is gone, well, they, this other hand had better be doing something because people are not, you know, well, I don't know, maybe I'm going out of a limb by saying people aren't dumb. Uh, so they have a tendency to prove me wrong on that. But um, logically, if it isn't in that one hand, then it's got to be in the other. So all these things fit within the context of routines so that they can watch the routines you put on there and see mm-hmm. these actions in uh, in context, which I think... Well, really in important. context, you really shouldn't even be knowing that you're doing a move. I mean, exactly. every move is dictated by really what you're doing next. So uh, you don't want anybody to say, oh, I really like that movie, did. You just want people to just see the magic. Exactly right. Exactly right. So I'm delighted. Uh, I, like I say, I was dismayed to hear about the medical problems. I'm delighted to hear that you seem to be on the back side of them. And that's, uh, that makes me happy. Um, mm-hmm. We're all getting a little stir crazy. And uh, there's no better way to beat being stir crazy than to buy yourself a book with more coin magic in it than you'll be able to accomplish in, uh, in a long time. But it's a lot of fun and it's beautifully written. Uh, the photographs look great. Uh, did you, are you your own photographer? I did the ones with one hand. I had my wife do the ones with both. And uh, uh, I really had to bribe her to, to do <laughs> Oh, I bet. Nothing's more fun. Come on, honey. This is only photo 1,312. You can't give exactly. up yet. Can't give up yet. Michael Rubenstein, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. Uh, the book is Rubenstein Coin Magic. You can get it from your favorite magic dealer. And uh, as I will look forward to uh, more good stuff from you in the future, my friend. Thank you so much. Thanks for talking to me today. Take care. My pleasure. Take care. Bye now. This has been another Conversation with Close. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, please be sure to tell your friends. You can like us on Facebook at Michael Close Magic. Follow us on Twitter at Mike Close Magic and visit our website, which is michaelclose.com. If you'd like to help support these podcasts, you can do that at anchor.fm slash Michael Close. In that way, we can continue to bring you high quality content. Until next time, so long from the Great White North.